0: Welcome to Empowered Communication. I am Meredith Holly, a workplace
1: conflict mediator, communication coach, and attorney. And I'm Megan Mellon, a social impact strategist focused on large scale systems change. This podcast
0: is intended for informational and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended to substitute for legal advice or for therapy. Laws are different in every state in the United States especially when it comes to employment law and in every country. They're also different. If you have concerns about your workplace experience, we encourage you to seek counseling, seek therapy, seek any modality that might help you and to get legal advice from an attorney in your area.
1: Are you highly sensitive or is your work environment toxic or maybe both? Highly sensitive people are sometimes classified as having a neurodivergency that involves an increased sensitivity of the central nervous system and a deeper cognitive processing of physical, social, and emotional stimuli. But sometimes we think that if we're the sensitive one, maybe we aren't actually correct about what's going on or the idea that we might need to respond. So today we're going to dive into these thorny topics around sensitivity and sucky workplaces and see if we can create some clarity for those moments where we wish we didn't feel like everything was busted and yet it totally might be. So Meredith, I am so happy to be with you again today. And I would love to start us off by talking about sensitivity, maybe in relationship to boundaries. Yeah. So what makes us sensitive? How can we think about sensitivity in a way that relates to this idea of boundaries?
0: Yeah, I mean, I do personally think that some people are inherently more sensitive than other people to environment issues. I also think that there are a few other things that happen when somebody's asking, am I just highly sensitive? A lot of times we're asking, is there a real problem or am I making the problem up? Right. <laughs> and I think that that's sort of the wrong framework to approach things as. So when we're thinking about boundaries and sensitivity, boundaries are the the line between where you end and another person begins, right? If we have a sensitivity around our boundary, sometimes that can make us more able to create safe environments and more able to enforce our boundaries it can make us more clear about what our boundaries are a lot of times though when people are talking about sensitivity what they're really saying though and being a highly sensitive person is they're saying if somebody in my environment is experiencing an uncomfortable emotion I have a hard time tolerating that or I also am feeling that uncomfortable emotion, which I do think happens for some people more than other people. But I also think in culture, we a lot of times pressure people to toughen up and get less sensitive. And we say sensitivity is a problem. We say Mm. you're just being too sensitive. Uh, This behavior is okay. When really, if we're going to improve our work environments I think we have to say thank you for being sensitive. Thank you for right. noticing this problem ahead of time. But in order to get there, I also think that we have to create spaces where we can be sensitive and also healthy, where we're not absorbing work environments or behaviors around us that are toxic. Yeah. We were kind of chatting before we started recording and we're talking about this really common example that I see where there is like a a very well-established CEO or we see this a lot in legal spaces where there's like a boss, a a main lawyer who is kind of a bully or abusive and there's an assistant who works for that boss. And that's the handler.
1: Yeah. I hear. You know, I'm the cleaner, you know, like I clean up all the messes and I try to keep it really, really comfortable for the big boss.
0: And is often a highly sensitive person. They're very attuned to if people are behaving in a way that's going to set the boss off. I had this experience once when I was a pretty new lawyer. I wrote this memo about an expert that we had found for a case. And we had done all this research and talked to other attorneys about finding this expert and it really contributed to the case. So I wrote this memo so that we could capture it for future similar cases. And I submitted it to like the big boss in our office who was actually a really lovely person and I love. And so, but he had a lot of power in the office and he had one of these assistants who made sure everybody conformed to the way he wanted things. And she came to my office and she said, well, he's a little upset about your memo. And she showed it to me and he had taken a Sharpie marker and blacked out the names of the people who referred us to the expert. And I was like, what's happening? And she was like, well, the next time you write a memo, you might just consider attributing all of the good things that happen to him so that he can take credit for (laughs) them." I was like, like, no, thank you. I'm not going to do that. That's really silly. What is happening right now? But she was like, well, you know, we don't want to make him mad. And she didn't want to make him mad, both because it felt unsafe to her, like there could be consequences, but also because she was not willing to tolerate his uncomfortable feeling.
1: Right. But you were right. And I think for you in that situation, it's like, cool. I don't actually need him to like my memo in that way. Like that works for me. I see the boundaries showing up there, like intellectual boundaries and also the values and kind of like professional boundaries as well. We are like, cool, got it. We all want what we want. I get it. You want that. This is what the work is. And so you were able to hold your boundaries and showing up in doing the work. And even though somebody else was like, well, we wouldn't want to ruffle his feathers. You're like, no, no, like it's actually okay. I think there's a message here that's like, it is okay for other people's feathers to be ruffled in a situation where what you are doing is your job. And then this other thing is happening where we're like trying to wind up around the uh, over-optimizing for the emotional comfort of one person at the expense of the purpose of the firm. Like that's valid. That's it's actually important That you were sensitive to the, I don't know if it's ethics at that stage or the truthfulness of the memo. To me at that point,
0: I had to build up a willingness to allow people who had certain power over my job, I had to build up a tolerance to allow them to be uncomfortable for the greater good kind of for the shared outcomes that we had. But I think like if she had come to me about a year earlier or something, I would have had a crisis and melted down and blamed myself about it. And I think that that's one of the dynamics that happens is if we are highly sensitive, we perceive that other people are having feelings and often for highly sensitive people, Mm -hmm. we do perceive them accurately. I think we can Mm -hmm. never really perceive other people's emotions a hundred percent accurately because we live in different bodies. But I think highly sensitive people do have a really valuable skill of accurately perceiving to some extent and to a higher extent than other people, the uncomfortable feelings that another person has. But then when we're talking about boundaries, we need to take a step back and say, I am still living in my bubble just because I can observe and notice and accurately know that. The feeling that the other person's having and that it's uncomfortable, that they're angry, that they're experiencing disappointment, that they're experiencing shame, that they're experiencing feelings that we kind of collectively agree inadequacy in this case, inadequacy, competition, unfairness. This other person, especially this person in power, is having this uncomfortable feeling does not mean that I need to hang on to that feeling also. Even if there's a moment where it passes through me and I kind of absorb it and that's how it alerts me and I notice it, I can still let it go. I can be Mm -hmm. like, there's that... Saying that says, be a screen, not a sponge. Like you can Mm -hmm. allow things to kind of come through you and pass through you. But I think that if we can notice it, we can strategically plan for how we want to encounter the other person's behaviors that come from their uncomfortable feelings, right? Their thoughts create their feelings and their feelings motivate their actions in the same way that our mm-hmm. thoughts create our feelings and our feelings motivate our actions. But if we can step back into our space and own that, we can be really valuable in that space of strategically acting. And then on the on the other side of the power dynamic, and we are the person in power. And we notice somebody that we maybe have privilege around
1: Mm. being
0: uncomfortable, it makes us very valuable as allies because we can Mm. notice things before they have to say something. Mm. So for example, a lot of white women, have been raised to become highly sensitive and to be very vigilant around mm-hmm. white men's feelings, right? Mm-hmm. And then we enforce that whiteness against Black people specifically and Indigenous people specifically, right? To make the white men safe. And we we don't think that we're imposing whiteness. We think we're just like being normal, but really we are. But if we can use our high sensitivity in the reverse and say, wow, I notice a ahead of time, that there is a Black person in this space who's being targeted or being tokenized or being forced to do something that they're probably uncomfortable about, that gives me the high sensitivity ability to step in in that situation so that all of the advocacy is not left on the people who are the most marginalized. Mm
1: -hmm. I have heard the statement that's going to sound weird in this context, but it's about power. And it's like there, somebody said like there are some managers who punch down and kiss up
0: mm-hmm.
1: but other people punch up and kiss down I'm not sure mm-hmm. we really want to be kissing down on this podcast so like <laughs> content warning around that We're like punching. this is not an endorsement <laughs> punching and kissing nothing but that I think that what that like glib uh kind of phrasing points mm-hmm. to is being aware of like the up down directions and here, here's what I'm getting so far. So, am I too sensitive, or is it a toxic work, toxic workplace? I think the first thing we're saying here is that red flag, too sensitive, quote unquote, can actually be a slur that functions to dismiss and disempower people. Whether that's us accidentally disempowering somebody else, somebody's empowering us, or us disempowering ourselves. Like even that question, that's like wait a minute, maybe I'm just too sensitive. That might be the hegemon sneaking in. If you Mm -hmm. are newly listening, this is your first episode. We talk a lot in this podcast and Meredith does in her work about reprogramming hegemony, the internalized vestiges of externalized dominance and oppression. Those voices sneak in there. And this whole, am I too sensitive thing? It definitely has the, you know, vibe alert blaring here Mm -hmm. that actually it's coded sensitive is bad. I will also propose that it actually can be used really viciously in alignment with gender as Mm -hmm. well. Like there's like ways in which like people who are, have been trained and coded as men should not be too sensitive. There's other ways that people coded as white women shouldn't be, or women of Mm -hmm. color shouldn't be, or non-binary people. There are a lot of tightropes around it. So, our first thing is flag that language. Am I too, maybe I'm just too sensitive. Just mm-hmm. notice the disempowerment there. That's a really great opportunity. The second thing that I think is the key takeaway so far is that there can be a difference between being sensitive, like having high sensing ability, right. and then also what we do with that information. Right. And so when people say stop being so sensitive, often they're like, I don't want to be accountable for what you're saying right now. Right. But for our empowerment, we want to keep the sensors and then try to do sensors plus spaciousness mm-hmm. so that we can be strategic, not like power over people, but we can play a strategic role in the accomplishment of our shared goals in our firm, mm-hmm. environment of respect and well-being. Mm-hmm. The image I keep getting is actually, I did not think about this before, is we have a Prius in our house and it, we got, it has these sensors on it. Right. So it will tell you, right. Like if you're backing up, it's like beep, beep, beep. And at first we're like, Oh my God, the beeping's like scrambling our brain. We're like, wow we shouldn't be doing this. Sometimes you'll, it'll have multiple kinds of beeping at once Right. at first. It made us feel like we needed to immediately get rid of the Prius and maybe just like ride bikes forever, despite weather patterns. And what we have realized over time is like, nope, you kind of acclimate to it and you're like, oh, okay. Yep. There's a beep. That's cool. Now there's also a setting on the Prius where if you're backing up at some point, depending on how it's calibrated, you can have a setting where it slams on the brakes automatically, Mm -hmm. which is very alarming. So we're like, all right, how would we like to calibrate this? In our family, we had chosen, we would like beeps, Sooner and more frequently, we're okay with the beeps around here. We have a higher tolerance on the automatic braking because we would not actually like the car to be like taking over the situation through this reflexive action. That's what you're offering here. It's like, actually, what if instead of toughening up and hunkering down and just going along with it with everybody else, we choose to lean into our abilities, our super abilities to be perceptive and to sense what's going on. Then we claim the space to choose what to do next, including sometimes choosing to tick people off who are above us in the power rank, knowing that that we might have been groomed to view that as dangerous. And that that also might freak out the other in our case, the other nice white ladies who are trained to predict violence from a certain kind of dominant actor. And then be sure everybody else is real compliant with that. Like sometimes we're going to need to be willing to tick the nice white ladies off as well as the dominant players in our workplace. And that's okay.
0: Yeah. And I even don't think of it anymore as ticking them off because I think like really what it is is showing up as ourselves and creating the environments that we want to see in the world. And mm-hmm. I think the thing that ticks them off is our programming that normal means unfairness, that normal means protecting certain people and more than others or more than the business or the, the goal of
1: the organization.
0: The thing that really causes that discomfort in the other person is whatever their programming is that you're living outside of
1: at that point. Yeah. People's repeated thoughts Become mm-hmm. their belief, like your yeah, belief. The Byron
0: Katie quote. Byron yeah. Katie is like yeah. we
1: practice thing the thinking that we practice mm-hmm. becomes our believing. Yeah, and I love what you're saying, which is like if I- you're not taking the boss off. In your case, or like one of the situations that I've been through in my career, I had a colleague who was embarking on a secret relationship Mm -hmm. with another manager on the team. And Mm -hmm. it was like giving me all the anxiety and heart palpitations because I was like, I love working with you. This is like against policy, actually, because you're not supposed to do dating with like a leap. It made me nuts. And I just think in in those situations, it was so easy to be like, I'm the only one or kind of alienate yourself around it. But it doesn't need to be that way. Like we, mm-hmm. we can see the situation. We can have the spaciousness, and then if it ticks somebody, if somebody, and even I'm doing it here, I'm their like, belief system ticks them off. Is a belief system? Yeah, right. Yeah. If I'm like, actually, I'm, I have an issue with this, yeah. and they're like, I can't believe that you're saying that right now. Right, like I think I got trained to fear. So funny because I fogged out literally right there because I'm like, "This is still so fresh." But like bringing that up, I'm like, "Oh no, it can feel really personal." I mean, I grew up as an internalizer, yeah. Right, so I'm like, "Oh my god," the mythology for me is that if I don't say anything about it, maybe it's not a problem. Yes, it's gonna go away. Yeah, it won't go away, it and it doesn't. affects other people. What you're saying is the way you would have had me think about that in that situation is to be like like Megan's going to bring forth what's there for Megan to bring forth. Yeah. Other people are experiencing anger, frustration, resentment, shame, inconvenience, because actually there are behavioral choices there. And now it's in the light. It's almost like, I'm not the one that, put the behaviors in the light. The behaviors put the behaviors in the light. They
0: were already there.
1: And me balancing the light doesn't actually help. I mean, and that kind of brings up two
0: things for me. So I think like there's the space of sensitivity because of our own privilege, And then I think that there's a space of sensitivity because of our own compassion and our own connection Mm -hmm. to humans. And I think Mm -hmm. that the space of sensitivity around privilege is different. I think that sometimes when we are being sensitive, I think that it's fair for people to say, okay, do you want to center yourself in Mm -hmm. this experience? So for example, in the memo situation that I was talking about, Mm -hmm. my boss was also being sensitive. He was sensitive Mm -hmm. because of his thinking, but it's Mm -hmm. not okay for other people to have contributed to a case, right? He was sensitive around that. He was experiencing discomfort around that. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's an invitation for him to not center himself there Mm -hmm. because it's not contributing to the common good. On the other hand, another way that I see people tell someone to toughen up around a toxic situation is out of love. So I see a lot of partners do this with people who are going through a challenging work experience and their partners say, like, you got to just let it go. You got to just move on. You got to just you can't take everything on like this. And some of that is also fair, but I think that that's different than, Letting go of our sensitivity, I think that that's exactly what you said. That's the internalization of it. We start out when we say, "I notice this other person is experiencing discomfort." I notice this behavior Mm -hmm. is having an impact I don't like in my environment. Mm -hmm. I notice something I don't want to tolerate is in my presence. Right? Like I noticing is the screen, right?
1: Right. We're able to see through, but we are not sponging. We're not. Taking we it. See in.
0: it. And then there's a second step where then we say, This is my fault. I've done something wrong to create this. Maybe I don't belong here. And we internalize it and we turn judgment in on ourselves. And then we experience a separate discomfort because of our thinking about it, mm. than the discomfort that we're noticing in the environment. Those are the sort of the two spaces where I do see people say, Hey, this experience you're having doesn't seem healthy for you. The first Is privilege sensitivity. Mm -hmm. And the second is internalizing a narrative that we have to fix other people's Mm -hmm. uncomfortable feelings. But I do think that it's hard to be in a space and observe somebody having discomfort and not fix it. Like that is a practice, especially if like you important. like your colleagues.
1: Yeah. Like I mean, you, and you said ex- in this example too, you're like, I really like this person. It's like, but this, you know, the the data about like assault and harassment is like overwhelmingly that it actually it's not like some random villain. popped out of like a dark wood no this stuff has it's real these are relational problems this is old as human relationships and so I feel like that is one place too when you like you really like the person but then you're like oh am I gonna do this to them if only I wish I wasn't that person I feel like to your point about how we come after ourselves wishing we didn't feel that way or wishing we were different is kind of like the yellow card of like If we wish we didn't feel that way and we start like creating storylines from that space, it's kind of a signal to like, wait, come back. Let's go back to the original sensing Mm -hmm. of what's happening. Let's, you know, squeeze out the sponge, set it aside Mm -hmm. so it doesn't get weird and moldy. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to be the screen. What do we notice? What is the discomfort that it's creating? Is this my discomfort? Is this discomfort with other people? Another like white lady problem we sometimes have is that is tricky. It's masquerading as compassion, but sometimes it is this um, right to comfort thing where we're like, Mm -hmm. oh, this is going to make other people uncomfortable. Okay. So we watch for saviorism because we're not saving people, but like that is good discernment work to say, right. I'm the screen. There is discomfort. Why is this important? Why is that important? This is important because we don't have relationships like that because it creates a cloudy environment for all of us. New hires, people in the mid-level of their career to be like, oh, crap, is this what I need to do to get ahead? Which can be a whole thing in industries, which hurt, you know, it hits people differently based on the privilege and the choices that they feel in their lives. And, you know, my workplace wasn't talking about that, that some people felt like they came to the industry from like a more stable place and, and had a, a bigger right to resist or say no to stuff they didn't want to do. One of the earliest pieces of advice when I took my first job in tech that I got from a mentor was like, I'm not saying anything about you, but no matter what you do, don't sleep with your boss. That was like their recommendation for this specific tech company. Cause they were like, it just happens all the time. But like, I care about your career and it always goes badly for the person who is the shape And size of you. So just don't do it. The woman. Even if it seems like what you have to do, don't do it. And I was like, okay, thank you for your, it was like an uncomfortable interaction, but I understood like the good intentions about it. But you know, some people in the environment, you know, person who doesn't really want their dating relationship exposed, they're not really being responsible for the big, you know, the bigger picture and the reason that we put those kind of guidelines in place, which has nothing to do with them not getting to date who they want to date. So there is a bit of mindfulness here that we are allowing people to learn when we are not just wishing ourselves out of observing the negative impact of their and behavior. And allowing,
0: allowing people in dominant positions, allowing people with privilege to experience discomfort, even if we're uncomfortable with that, even if we've been trained that that's not right. acceptable. Because
1: it's part of experiential learning for and, and part of accountability. I think that people can have
0: realistic concerns about reporting abuses in the workplace. Like people can think, I legitimately may be fired for this. And that's like- reasonable in a lot of spaces and often is true. I think that it's a separate thing to say, I am afraid to report this because I'm not willing to tolerate this abuser being uncomfortable. This person Mm -hmm. I don't respect having discomfort is going to be so painful for me, um, that I just can't do it. Or I'm not willing to watch this other person report this. I have a friend who, um, talks about another one of our friends, um, who probably will eventually, both of them, I think will be on the podcast at some point. But um, um, my friend says, oh, she just always says the quiet part loud. And she tells this story about watching our friend who says the quiet part loud do it and say, oh, I, I thought we were only allowed to talk about this in whispers behind the scenes. Like, am I safe? Is this okay? And like watching that happen and then realizing like, oh, this is how abuse takes up space is because mm. those of us who are sensitive are not willing to tolerate abusers being uncomfortable.
1: Yeah. And if you go really deep into the domestic violence literature and like how it actually works where all this, nobody wants to know about, you guys don't want to know about this stuff, but like, if you really get one to get really nerdy and learn about manipulation control, part of the conscious or subconscious dark arts of it is that Abuse behaviors program everybody else to protect the abuser first. Right. So right. it's not your fault. That's a very oh important. yeah. I mean, that's gonna be like we should get a button when we push it. That's like reminder, yeah. this is not your fault. You oh, did not it's cause this. So yeah. crucial. And just be be watchful. If you find that internal voice in you that is self-silencing, see if you can respond with immense compassion and be like, wait a minute am I getting convinced to protect somebody who is choosing like non-aligned behaviors at the expense of my own self? It's like, it's not like the oldest gotcha in the book. Like we're all dummies for falling for it. It's just this like really slippery quick quicksand trap that the more we know about it, the more that we can, the more we can actually choose what to do next, right? Slow it all down, practice the impact model that we've talked about as we talked about in past episodes. And then, and just see if you can start creating some space by diagramming the thinking, diagramming the other players and, and creating that room for you to sit with what really is. Meredith, I would love to ask you on this rather than toughen up, you have like a new Imitation for people in a different direction, I think is really sweet.
0: Yeah, I just think we can sensitive up sometimes. And that's how yeah. we create more effective boundaries. I mean, when we talked about boundaries last time, we talked a lot about our personal safety and our personal rewards and our personal experience of the workplace and how those interact with other people's boundaries. And we, we talked about, it's not a boundary for like the Jonah Hill thing that was in the news over the summer where he told his girlfriend, it was his boundary that she not post a picture of herself in her bathing suit on social media, right? Like that's not a boundary. That's just control.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: However, I do think other people can be within our boundary environment as communities, Mm -hmm. right? We can think of the safety that I create does create safety for other people Mm -hmm. and have communities be within our bubble of safety, as long as we're not then imposing control on the people who are in our bubbles, right? Right. And I think if we sensitive up, we can say, oh, like, is there a toxin in this environment? Like if you ingest small amounts of poison, you develop more tolerance to poison, which lets you take more poison, right? If -hmm. you don't ingest poison, your body is sensitive to poison. And so the only reason to toughen up about it is if you want to ingest more poison. But if we sensitive Mm -hmm. up, we can have immediate alerts where Mm -hmm. we say, oh, Let's resolve this, not to control Mm -hmm. the people around us, but to Mm -hmm. notice what's happening and work towards creating the communities and the workplaces we want to create.
1: Yeah. We didn't say this earlier, but I I think you all know this. This is, we are not therapists or mental health professionals. And um, I do think that so much good work can happen in some of those spaces around Mm -hmm. some of these topics. I think a lot of us have found a lot of support in therapy and counseling environments around reclaiming sensitivity. Even if you toughened up before, if you're not in your thirties yet, boy, your thirties have something in store for you where sometimes our old sensitivity that we thought we left behind starts to resurface in strange and uncanny moments. And we can either try to force it back down into the dark, dark hole, which it will not want to go back into, or we can be like, okay, you know, and like re-embrace it and reintegrate. There's this topic of emotional self-regulation mm-hmm. nervous system regulation right. where there's like breathing practices and all sorts of different work that we can do visualizations meditations there's so much good stuff out there somatic experiencing work polyvagal yeah. work yeah polyvagal love it like you can google google this stuff if you want to y'all but Basically, there is this whole field of support and healing and and um, sort of regeneration that can happen around our ability to both recover sensitivity and not be completely overtaken by it, holding our own space around it. I know we said
0: this a bunch in this episode, but like use the sensitivity to notice, not to attach, like to yeah. notice what's happening, not to internalize it and take it on um, yourself and punish yourself. Yeah. And then
1: from there, we find the space, we can navigate it, and we also practice holding the space for other people to have their experience of it we can witness and acknowledge we are not merging and enmeshing we are not getting all wound around them
0: or entangled
1: in other people's workplace codependencies nope we are grounding and also we can be respectful as we do this without being the cause you know someone else can have discomfort and it doesn't mean we caused it We can speak in a respectful manner and still make it happen. Is there any bottom line, Meredith? What should people practice if they're in a situation right now where they want to take an action and be more distinctive, you know, be more in line with their own boundary, what we should do the first time that we choose to sensitive up and then actually bring something into our environment?
0: Yeah, I think it's not all or nothing. It's not uh, being silent or throwing bombs. It's it's showing up as you looking into your body, your mind, who you truly are and your experience and showing up a little more as yourself every day instead of ingesting a little bit of poison, letting the environment accept a little bit of you every day. And it can be gradual. It doesn't have to be overnight. You don't have to go from feeling like you're internalizing your environment to all of a sudden being an activist. You know, It's just like, what's one thing that you can do in this environment to show up a little bit more as yourself? Let yourself have a little bit more space. Let your sensitivity be a notice to you, not a disaster. If somebody else is having abusive behavior in your environment, and you take that on yourself, like the wrong person's getting punished in that situation.
1: So we are squeezing out our inner sponges and then we are seeing through our screens. Mm-hmm. And maybe the first step is some journaling on I yeah. notice, non judgmental noticing. And then we don't have to like run in and read the riot act to everybody right away. This can be gradual process, but we're starting from within so that we can make a bigger impact without.
0: If you're doing a journaling exercise on it, you can say, what is one thing that would make me feel a little more safe in this situation? What is one thing that would make me feel a little more nurtured in this situation? Uh, you can write out everything that's going wrong and just like do free, right? Like there's nothing wrong in journaling. And what do you deserve? If you saw someone you loved who was like you in this situation, what would you do for them to care for them?
1: And then those can become requests. Mm-hmm. Meredith, thank you so much for all your work. Thank you for today. And we will see you next time on Empower Communication.
0: The Empower Communication podcast is produced by Same Team Media. Music by Sarai Johnson.